South Bay Community Church. My name is James, and I'm just so privileged and honored to be here with you guys. Thank you for choosing to be here with us this morning. If you haven't been with us for the last few weeks, we've been studying Jesus' greatest sermon, this greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And man, Jesus has been challenging those that are listening, hey, if you want to follow me, if you really want to be a son or a daughter, of our Father in heaven, man, he, he raises the bar and says, we must live like this. And he goes on to give us instructions on how we're called to interact with one another, how we're supposed to speak, how we're supposed to conduct ourselves, and how we're supposed to have relationships with our friends, our family, our enemies, but most importantly, even God. And he's been going on, and as you guys can tell, just in the number of weeks it's taking us to go through it all, it's a long, lengthy message. And I'm sure at this point that people are like, wow, this is a lot of information. i got to process this. And Jesus comes to the climax and the conclusion, and he says, here we go, guys. You have amassed all this information. You have heard all that I have to say. Now I want to draw a line in the sand. And I'll say, and he says, I want you to make a choice. And so here today, as we study together Jesus' closing remarks, what I want to do is I want to bring about those same choices and challenges that Christ brought to those listening thousands of years ago. And so before we do that, can we just start off by coming to him and asking for his help to really understand this and to really make a choice? Because I don't know about you guys, but I know sometimes I can be really indecisive. Sometimes I let, I get paralyzed and the idea of analyzing all of this different information, but I think what Jesus really wants us to do here today is not just walk out with more knowledge and information, but I really believe he wants us to make a choice. And so let's pray and let's ask him to help us do that. God, thank you for every single person in this room and those that are listening to this message. God, I know that none of them are here and listening to this by mistake, but God, I firmly believe that you have a challenge for them. God, a choice for them to make and God, I pray that while sometimes it may be difficult to really decipher through what's the best options or what's the best choice, or even when we know what the right choice is to make that decision, God, I pray that today we would see the value of choosing Jesus, His way, God, His words, and God, obeying His commands. But God, this isn't something that we can just do on our own power. We need your help. So would you provide us insight and wisdom and God, would you provide us the faith and courage to move in that direction. We love you. And God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as somebody that's been working with the youth for quite a while, we're always trying to think of different games where we can interact with one another and get to know one another better. And so one of our favorite things to do is we play this game called Would You Rather. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about this game before, but what we do is we give questions to our students where they have to choose between two different options. And we try to make the options hard because we want them to really think through the decision that they're about to make. And so some of the questions we might ask are like this, and maybe you guys can think about how you would answer as well. But we might ask, would you rather be always 10 minutes late or always 20 minutes early? Or another one might be, would you rather lose all of your money and all of your valuables or all the pictures you've ever taken? Would you rather be famous when you're alive and forgotten when you die? Or would you rather be unknown when you're alive and famous after you're gone? Would you rather your shirts be always two sizes too big or always one size too small? 
Or would you rather never use any social media sites or apps like YouTube or Netflix or Hulu or anything like that ever again? Or never watch another movie or TV show ever again? And so maybe some of you guys, as you contemplated the different options, man, it was a really easy choice. You're like, man, I would always be early because I never like being late. But maybe there are some of you guys that struggle through some of the questions like, man, money and my treasure or the things that I have taken pictures of, uh, that's a tough one. Well, what Jesus begins to do as he comes to the climax of his message is he presents the opportunity for his disciples and those that have been listening a choice as well, saying, what would you rather do? And so today, let's take a look and, and let's see the choices that he gives his disciples and us here today. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through 14, we're going to start there. If you have your Bibles, we'd love for you guys to take this time to open it up and meet us there. If not, you could always follow along in the program uh, that's inside uh, your Baywatch, or we'll have the verses up here as well, or you could always follow along on your app or your Bible app. But let's read the Bible together and let's hear Jesus' words and how he challenges us today to make choices. Here in Matthew 7, 13 through 14, he starts by saying this. He says, enter. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it, they're few. See, Jesus begins with one choice that you and I need to make with our lives. And that is this. If you want to write this down, you can. He says, which way will you go? Which way will you go? How will you live your life? What direction will you end up heading towards? And see, he begins by doing this, by presenting us an option of a wide gate, and of a narrow gate. And when he talks about the narrow gate, he talks about the difficulties and the hardships that's behind it. And in the wide gate, he talks about the ease and the convenience and the comfort of it. But what he also tells us is this, depending on the way that we choose, by the entrance we take, it will determine the road we live our life, the companions that we'll have, and ultimately, our final destination. And so let's take a moment and let's just pick apart a little bit the narrow and the wide gate. First, let's start with narrow. Like we said, it's hard. And why is it hard? Well, when I considered this idea of a narrow gate and a narrow road, I, I thought about a documentary that I watched uh, a while back on Netflix. It was all about these kids all around the world and the roads that they had to travel just to get to school. And how dangerous it could be. For instance, here's this picture of, of these kids that had to cross over this broken bridge in order to just to get across the river. And I was thinking about it as someone who has worked with youth as a youth pastor. I'm like, man, some of my kids, they'll find any way not to go to school. Like even if like the air conditioning is not working in their car, they don't want to go. And yet here are these kids traversing through very dangerous and difficult places in order to get to school. And then it's not even things like this, but there could be precarious situations like walking on a narrow road where one option is a mountain and the op other option is falling over a cliff. 
And see, if you could see just by these small little instances, no wonder he tells us that the narrow road is hard. Because to walk along these types of paths requires two things. It requires intention, intentionality, and it requires attention. You can't simply cruise on by. You can't just go with the flow. You have to be really aware of what you're doing and where you're going. And maybe we can relate better to it in a more modern day example of a narrow road. Now imagine one of these roads that you and I may travel on all the time. You know, cars are parked along both sides of the street and somehow, some way, two cars are supposed to navigate this street, one coming in each direction. Now if you weren't just paying attention and you were just kind of going, you might hit the car on the side, you might not be aware of the different things that might pop out of the cars in between or even another car coming in the other direction. No, instead, in a road like this, I know that I get really anxious and I get really nervous because I'm always scared about hitting something. And so I know that it requires my full engagement. And in the same way, I believe this is what Jesus is alluding to when he's talking about us going through and choosing the narrow gate and the narrow road and going in that direction. That we have to be engaged with what's happening. That we have to be really intentional about the steps that we move in. And we have to give it our full attention. See, the contrast is the white gate. The white gate seems to provide us a wide road. And maybe in that direction, it would be so much more easier to just kind of go on cruise control. And and just kind of follow along with the masses. Right? Because it also tells us the white gate is the more popular of the two gates. He says, there you will find many people. And so for some of us, we like to go where the people are at. Because sometimes we feel as though there is safety in numbers. And we might be thinking, well, if so many people are making that decision, if so many people are going in that direction, they all can't be wrong. Well, many of us have learned through the course of history that the masses can truly be wrong. Whether it was the thought that the earth was flat or that slavery was okay, The reality is, just because many people believe it or agree with it, doesn't necessarily make it true. And then again, we go back to the flip side, and we're told that the narrow gate and the narrow road is the road less traveled. That there will be many that don't go on that direction. And so if we find ourselves on the narrow road, we find ourselves maybe a little more lonely. Maybe with not as many people understanding the direction that we're going. Criticizing the choices that we make. And so if we just look on the surface of these two different ways that are presented to us. Man, it, the, 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 the decision might be easy. I'm going where it's comfortable and easy. Why would I go where it's hard and lonely? And I feel like for many of us. Even as believers, we sometimes want to go to the wide side because of how appealing and alluring it is because of how hard and difficult life can be as a follower. One of the psalmists, one of the writers of this book, of one of the books in the book of Psalms, he talked about it himself. He was a worship leader. and He mentioned in his writings about, man, just struggling with God. 
saying, God, I don't get this. I don't understand. I look around and I see people that don't believe in you, don't follow your words, and yet their life seems so much more comfortable. They seem to get everything they, they want. They seem to have no cares or worries in the world where, where me, as a believer, I'm struggling. People are ridiculing me. I'm being persecuted. The decisions I make are extremely difficult. God, I don't get it. I look around and I think it almost seems better to be a non-Christian. And maybe some of you guys in here today are feeling the same way. Well, I would want to encourage you what this psalmist came to the conclusion of, though. See, after examining, after complaining, after comparing, he realized something. In Psalm 73, verse 16 and 17, he tells us what he figured out. He says, but when I thought how to understand this, the idea that <laughs> seems like non-believers have it better than us, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. See, the perspective of the narrow gate and the narrow road changes when you and I envision the end. See, Jesus is teaching here a counterculture thought. Not all roads lead to life. No, instead he teaches us that only the narrow road, not the wide road, leads to life. And as we learn throughout scripture more and more, Jesus is not just proclaiming life here on earth, even though he includes that, because he tells us in John that, man, I have come so that people may have life and life to the fullest. But Jesus has also come to present us the way to eternal life as well. And it's a narrow option because he is the only option. It's a narrow way because only he is capable of providing it for us. And so I pray and I hope that you would consider that because we have a choice to make. Which way will we go? Which direction will our lives be headed towards? Jesus' way or what seems like on circumstantial evidence the easier, the more comfortable way? So today as you discern the idea of the choice of which way will you go, will you heed Jesus' warnings as he compared and contrasted the narrow and the wide? And will you write this down? He tells us to be warned of this. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by our circumstances. Jesus is very truthful and he's honest in what it means to be a believer. He doesn't shy away from the fact that we will struggle, that it will be hard, that people will hate us. That this road will not be easy. But he is also quick to remind us, don't let those circumstances be the only thing to sway your decision. Instead, I believe what he wants us to be reminded of as we consider this idea of where we will go is this. Will you write this next point down? Keep your eyes on the prize. That you would consider the end game because the end game changes everything. You and I want to experience life and life to its fullest. If you and I want to be assured of eternal life, then Jesus says, it'll be harder. It'll be a little more lonely. But in this way and only this way will you experience it. It won't be popular. It won't be easy. But if you come my way, you will experience life and not destruction. So I pray and I hope you will consider the words of Christ here. 
and you will personally answer that question, which way will I choose? But as you're doing that, Jesus also warns of others who may try to mislead us and misguide us, others who will try to fool us. And, and so take a look at Matthew 7 and verses 15 through 20 as he goes on and he tells us another warning to consider, but also another choice we must make. In verse 15, he starts off by saying, beware. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Here, we are presented with another choice, and you guys could write this down. Jesus says, who will you listen to? Who will you listen to? He desires that we astutely choose to listen to him and not others in the sense of those that may come dressed as sheep but inwardly are wolves. And what does this remark mean? Well, consider this idea of this analogy that Jesus has given us, a wolf in sheep's clothing. When you think about that, what comes to mind? What picture appears to you? Well, to me, this is what shows up. This this is my dog, Chase. I love him. I just wanted to show him off. But, but in reality, it, it's like this, right? It's like this, this wolf who is the enemy of the sheep, who seeks to destroy the sheep and eat the sheep, comes dressed up looking like a sheep, wanting to fit in, wanting to, the sheep to put down their defenses. Why? So he could attack. But I believe that Jesus was trying to use this analogy not just in the sake of a sheep, a wolf in sheep's clothing that just hangs out with other sheep. But he's talking about false prophets here. And so what I think that he's trying to warn us of is not just those that are sitting right next to us who may be wolves in sheep's clothing, but he's also warning us of teachers and of pastors who are wolves in shepherd's clothing. See, shepherds oftentimes wore long clo uh, cloaks, and those cloaks were made of sheep and their wool. So in the same way, I believe what Jesus is trying to tell us and warn us of is this. There will be many that will proclaim that they are speaking on my behalf, but they won't be. Instead, they will be wolves in shepherd's clothing. And you and I, we need to be ready and aware of these people. You and I, we need to be able to spot these people out. Why? Because this is their agenda. Their agenda is not to pray for us and protect us. Their agenda is to pray on us and devour us. See, wolves and shepherds clothing believe that the sheep exist to serve them when the exact opposite is true. Wolves and shepherds clothing can preach with intensity, but they'll lack integrity. They may have charisma, but they won't have character. They may be able to talk the talk, but oftentimes their lies won't reflect. And Jesus wants us to pay attention to them. Why? Because they may be there to fool you and to take advantage of you and steer you in the wrong direction. And so he gives us some ideas of what we can look for. 
He tells us to watch for them and to observe them. And so we can look at their actions. We can see how they interact. And I think that is a huge part of it. But I also believe that he wants us to examine something even more astutely and more intently. Especially in the context of what he is teaching us here. And that is their message. Right, the things that they have to share. Good trees will bear good fruit. Bad trees will bear bad fruit. Does their message differ from Christ? Even in the slightest. Because how does that saying go? The devil is often in the details. Right? And so he may want to show up and make it seem and sound just like God. But there's just a slight altercation. Slight change or slight difference. That makes the biggest difference in the world. And so with that being said, what I believe Jesus is trying to challenge us with is this. As we consider the choice of who we will listen to, he gives us the warning of this. We write this down. Don't be fooled by others. Don't be fooled by others. There will be people that will come and say that they are proclaiming a message from me. And it will not at all be my word. And sometimes this is super easy to spot. For example, I recently came across an article where it shared about a pastor in Zimbabwe who was reportedly convincing his congregation that he had access to holy pens, right? And, and that if you were to purchase this pen, that you would do well on your exams. And the more you would be willing to pay for these pens, the better you would do. They could cost anywhere from a dollar to $20. And so we hear something like that and we automatically think there's something wrong that doesn't match up. And so it might be easy for us to spot, hey, this might be a false prophet. But others, others may be harder to spot. They sound good. They look appealing. And on the outside, they appear as good fruit. And this is why I think Jesus wanted to warn us of this. And I think even later on in the New Testament, we hear it from Paul as well. Because there will be those that will seek to do anything and everything to sell us on things that aren't true. And that's why we must, we must take the advice of Christ and even Paul. When he tells us this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 22. Read along with me. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. But test. Test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Paul says, test everything. And when you test it, whatever is good, hold on to that. Don't let it go. But whatever is evil, whatever is not of God, run away from it. Flee from it. And that's why your next point is this. I believe Jesus wants us to not be fooled by anyone. And so his advice is test everything. Test their fruit. Test their message. Test it all. And what do we test it with? We test it with the Bible. And so I want to challenge you, church. Each and every one of you, personally and individually, test me. Test Pastor Greg, Pastor Gary, any and every pastor you might listen to on YouTube or podcasts. Test every book that is recommended that is supposedly Christian. Test every, even the things that worship leaders might say or even the songs that we sing. Test them. I remember one time my youth director growing up, 
wanted to teach me a valuable lesson in this. And so while we're sitting around doing Bible study, he started opening up his Bible and started reading a passage. And he looked at me and said, James, take out your Bible. I was like, no, it's cool. You're reading it. I'll just listen. He said, no, James, take it out. I want you to take it out because there's an important lesson for you to see and learn in this. And I was like, what is that? He said, James, I could sit here and I could start reading you gibberish. I could start reading you a verse that may be out of context. I could have this agenda that I want to do, and so I'm just going to read you part of a verse and not the complete verse. And I don't want you to ever be caught off guard in that way. I don't want you to be fooled. I don't want you to be misled. And I think in the same way, this is what Jesus is, is, is challenging us with as well. Because the reality of it is this, people, people make mistakes. Sometimes we let our feelings and our emotions get in the way. Sometimes we just lack knowledge. And so because of that, we need to always be testing personally for ourselves what we're going to choose to listen to. And we always need to compare it to the Bible. Why? Because only the Bible is infallible. It's kind of like when you are trying to figure out if something is level or not, right? Whether if it's straight or not. For instance, my wife and I, when we moved into our place a few years back, I remember she had me go and put some frames, picture frames up on the wall. And so, you, you know, I went, I, I got a nail, I put it in, and I put the frame on there. And I was like, man, that's a pretty good job. I'm pretty proud of myself. So I was like, honey, Darren, come on over, take a look. Take a look at what your husband just did. She came on over, she looked at it. And she kind of looked like this, kind of looked like that, walked up, walked back. And I was expecting to hear, wow, good job, honey, you did really well. But instead she said, I think it's crooked. And I said, I think you're crooked. What, what do you mean? And she's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's off. And I'm like, no, you're off. And we went back and forth. They're like, no, it's straight, not, no, it's not. And we just, we were like, okay, we need to settle this. She had her opinion, I had my opinion, I thought it was straight, she thought it was crooked, and so we took out a level. And I put that level on there, and I was ready to say, see? And I did that, and she was like, who's right? And she was. But here's the thing, here's the thing, we, we both could have just gone back and forth and had no end to this fight. It was the level that brought us back and reminded us who was right and who was wrong. And in the same way, we need to always go back to the Bible to make sure that we're not being misled or we're being fooled by a charismatic teacher or somebody that's giving us exactly what we want to hear or somebody that's slightly altering and, and deviating God's message to make it more palatable. But instead, you and I personally should be investing and reading the Bible for ourselves. God has given us all the power of the Holy Spirit according to his word as believers. So while it's great to hear from pastors who have the gift of teaching or others who, who have been anointed by God, God also says the responsibility of our growth, of us testing other things, it falls on ourselves personally. And so I want to challenge you. Don't just read about what other people have said about the Bible. Read it for yourself. Because God has given us each the challenge to test the spirits, to test the word, and to make sure we examine the fruit of those that are teaching and leading. And it's so wise that we do. Why? Because we must be reminded that the enemy comes appearing 
like the flock or like the shepherd. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. Here we're reminded that our enemy, it won't necessarily come in an obvious way. His disguises and his deception is powerful. He says, for such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So church, I challenge you. Who will you listen to? Don't be fooled by wolves in sheep's clothing. Test everything. Test everyone. And read the Bible for yourself. Otherwise, we can be fooled and we can be misled. Speaking of being fooled and misled, back in 2018, there was this huge event, a football game. I think it's called the Super Bowl. I'm not quite sure. But I guess you have to pay thousands upon thousands of dollars for tickets and travel and airfare. And, and that's exactly what 150 people did. I mean, there were more than that, but 150 people specifically did. And yet on the day of the event, as they made their way to the stadium, excited to go watch their favorite team compete for a championship, they were confronted with the reality that what they had in their hands weren't the real deal, but instead were counterfeits. They had been fooled. They had been misled. They thought they had the real thing. They spent real money for it. They gave up a lot of their time, made a lot of efforts. But when push came to shove, they weren't allowed entrance to what they thought they had tickets for. And in the same way, I believe many people that think they're Christians or believers believe that they have authentic faith when in reality, They've been misled and they've been fooled and what they possess is counterfeit. I say this because what we're, what we're about to read now is some of the most scariest verses for me personally, but especially as a pastor. Because Jesus tells us that there are people that think everything is right when in reality they couldn't be more wrong. Take a look at Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And here Jesus says, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. See, this is one of the most scariest verses in the Bible to me because he's telling us that there will be people that will come and approach Jesus thinking that their relationship with God is good, thinking that they truly are a disciple of Christ. 
And yet when they come and they approach Christ and they say, Lord, Lord, he tells them, I never knew you. Tells us that not everyone that cries out, Lord, Lord, will actually be entered into the kingdom of heaven. And this is significant because the phrase, Lord, Lord, translated from their time was insinuating that these people, these people actually considered God or Christ in this instance, master. That they had reverence and awe for who they were talking to. That even the fact that they would say, Lord, Lord, was an indicator that they were probably really zealous and really religious and fervent in their belief. But yet, Jesus tells us what? Not all of those that say, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. I think this is a reminder to us that not everyone who proclaims to be a Christian is truly a Christian. You and I, we can yell, we can scream, we can passionately proclaim that we are believers of God. But Jesus tells us very clearly that it is not just those that are loudest and passionate. It is those that do the will of the Father in heaven. See, I believe what was going on was that these were the people who could talk a good talk. Who said the right things, but they weren't doing and living them out. But here's the crazy thing, because then Jesus addresses the opposite side of the spectrum. And he addresses the people that claim all the works that they had done. And again, Jesus shows us that there's an issue with that too. That somehow, some way, they got misled into thinking works is what Jesus was looking for. Right? Because as they were crying out to him, they were saying, didn't you see the works that we have done for you? The miracles that we perform? The acts that we demonstrated? But I think what Jesus was trying to remind them of is this. Don't place success above obedience. Don't place your works above relationship. Don't rely on the gifts that you have and the use of them over the grace that I give and I offer. See, and he makes a small little comment at the end of this that reminds us that they were focused on doing acts for God rather than a true relationship with Christ. It says they practice, they were workers of lawlessness. And what this insinuates is this, that their lives didn't really match up with the commands of Christ. Yet they were doing things for Christ here and there, but their lives didn't quite match Christ's commands. And it reminds me of how maybe sometimes I can be, or any one of us can be with our spouse. For instance, just as an example, imagine a husband and a wife, right? And, and the husband, you know, he does all the right things, says all the right things, writes his wife cards, especially on birthdays and on anniversaries, Valentine's Day, does big gestures of grand love, whether it be in gifts or actions. But imagine outside of those big moments, the rest of his life is filled with adultery, infidelity. That the rest of his life isn't toward devotion to his wife, but to doing his wants and his needs and whatever that might look like and however that might play out. Yes, he might be able to say that he is a husband. Yes, he might even do acts of a husband every so often. He might even do big proclamations and gestures of love. 
But could you imagine any wife saying, that's good with me? Yeah, go cheat on me. Don't listen to me. Do whatever you want as long as you just give me a few moments here and there. It's no wonder that Jesus points to this and says, guys, don't be fooled into thinking just proclaiming is enough. Don't be fooled into just thinking doing stuff is what I want. It's about a relationship. And it's about doing the will of our Father in heaven from that relationship. See, these people, these people will not be recognized by Christ as disciples or even entered, even allowed to enter in the kingdom of heaven. Instead, Jesus says, get away. I never knew you. And so the question is, how did they get so fooled into believing this? Well, probably could have happened through false prophets. But I think there's one other way. I think that way can be found in Jesus' last example and analogy of the choice that you and I need to make. See, he gives us this choice of this, and will you write this down? What will you build your life on? All of us, we're trying to build our life on something, our identity, our purpose, our worth, our security. And Jesus begins to ask, what are you building that on? And he goes on to compare and contrast two very different people. Let's read Jesus' last analogy and last compelling choice that he gives those that are listening. Verse 24, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And then everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great, great was the fall of it. Jesus gives us an example of two different people yet with the same intention. They want to build their house. So they go about doing it but on two different foundations. And yet they both experience the same things, the winds, the waves, the storms of life. One remains, one falls. What was the difference? Their foundation. One was on rock and one was on sand. And Jesus tells us where that difference lies. Because see, he goes on to say, they both heard everything that Jesus had to say. But the wise man didn't just hear, he applied. While the foolish man heard and did his own thing. This reminds me of a verse here in James chapter 1 verse 22. Where James reminds us that we can be fooled by ourselves. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. 
See, what Jesus really wanted to do as he's closing out this message is this. He's like, hey, that's great. You guys have all listened and you guys have all heard everything that I have preached. But some of you guys might leave this place and think that's enough. That just amassing knowledge and even agreeing with the things that I have proclaimed are enough. No, he says, it is not enough for you to just do that. The one that is wise, the one that will have his life built on solid ground is the one that hears and listens and obeys and acts and applies. See, some of us somehow, some way, fooled ourselves into thinking reading the Bible is enough. Or showing up to church and listening to messages are enough. Pat ourselves on the back and say, we accomplished what we're supposed to do. No, but Jesus tells us right here, it is not just good enough to merely hear. You must do. And so we write this down as your next point. In considering what we're supposed to build our life on, Jesus says, don't fool yourself. Don't fool yourself into thinking good enough is good enough. Don't fool yourself into thinking that, man, you got it figured out. Don't fool yourself into thinking that just listening to the message is all that you need. No, instead, he challenges us with this idea of would you listen and obey? Would you listen and obey and why will we do this? Because we obey out of love. Why is it that we obey out of love? Because, because consider this, guys. The one that is asking us to choose him as the way is Jesus, whom we learn is the truth, the way, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through him. The one that is asking us to choose him as the way is the one that made the way possible by going to the cross. The one that is asking us to choose who we will listen to, he's not a wolf in sheep's clothing. He is our good shepherd, whom we're told will lay down his life for his sheep. The one that asks us, will we build our life on his words, by not just hearing them, and, but by doing them, is, to, is the one that wants to see us stand and be built to last when the storms and the chaos of life consume and destroy everything else. Remember, Jesus is not seeking your obedience just for the sake of his own ego. He's seeking your obedience for the sake of your own good. Because he loves you. And so I hope and I pray that you would trust him and you will choose Jesus because you love him. Because he loves you. Obedience to Jesus is one of the best ways we could express love. And that's not just my opinion, that's Christ's own words. Take a look at John 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, talking to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. So here you are today. You've been sitting here for the last few weeks 
or you have heard the different sermons on the mount. And we're glad that you have joined us through this series. But I want to end it the same way that Jesus ended it when he was giving this Sermon on the Mount, asking, what will you do with this? How will you choose to respond? No one can respond for you. It is a decision that you must make for yourself. Which way will you choose? Who will you listen to? And what will you build your life on? I pray and I hope it will be Jesus. But the choice is yours. Let's pray. God, as I examined your message, as I examined your sermon on the mount, I was convicted by how you ended it. Not by trying to make everybody feel warm and fuzzy and good inside, not necessarily trying to make everyone feel better after hearing it, but God, instead you challenge them to experience better by presenting them choices, by God drawing a line in the sand and saying, you must do something with what you just heard. So God, I pray that today People would re- everyone here would really consider the options that are in front of them. God, while it's great that they may have listened to all these messages and even agree with them, even acknowledge them, even memorize them, God, your desire wasn't just for that alone. Your desire was for them. Was to accept it, but also apply it. Because God, you desire for us to experience life you desire us to experience the love of our shepherd. God, you, ex- you desire that you, we would stay standing and be built to last. And so God, I pray that we would choose you if we want those things. God, help us today to make a decision for you. We love you. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, thank you, Pastor James, for taking us through. Uh, just a very convicting.